Who is your shepherd? Jesus, yeah, I would hope that maybe we would say that with a bit more confidence and enthusiasm, right? It's not, hope you weren't going through the Rolodex of other gods like, ah, is it Zeus or Krishna? <laughs> no, it's Jesus, right? We, we said it clearly in the responsorial psalm many times. We said, the Lord is my shepherd. There is nothing I shall want. And there is but one Lord, Jesus Christ. And he's our shepherd. But in the gospel, he also says he is the gate. Elsewhere, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And we realize that this Jesus, this Lord who shepherds us unto life eternal, is for us our everything. He is a God so in love with humanity that he is not only that patient shepherd, but he's also the gate through which we pass to enter into communion with the Father. He who out of love for us became our brother in taking on our humanity in his divinity remained our creator and the sustainer of our life. He is our everything, this shepherd of ours. But he shepherds in a very peculiar way. Right? Because sometimes we don't like readings where we're called sheep. We take offense because we're like, I'm not a sheep, I think for myself. Well, you see, you have this shepherd who loves that about you. You have this shepherd who actually gave you that mind, gave you that capacity for reason and for faith, and has meant for those two to come together. You see, he shepherds you not by saying, don't ask questions, but in saying, in asking your questions, trust me, follow me into all truth. Right? It, it, actually look for the answers instead of letting those questions just be doubts thrown into the void. No, instead, let it be a dialogue. Let it be something where you are pursuing truth, not just assuming that it can't be found here in church. But that's not the most peculiar thing about how he shepherds. It's not the fact that he actually invites critical thinking. No, the most peculiar thing is that he shepherds his sheep by asking that those sheep help to shepherd each other. He not only in baptism incorporated us into his body, but he also has given us a share in his mission. He doesn't just say, okay, follow me, and it's just a you and me type of thing, don't care about other people, that's their business. No, instead he says that we are responsible for each other, or we're at least responsible to each other. Right? We can't make each other's choices, but we can influence each other in a good way or a bad way. In every interaction, the good shepherd is saying to you, where are you helping to shepherd this person? Are you leading them closer to their good shepherd or further away from him? That could be with friends. That could be with co-workers. That could be with strangers that we just happen to encounter. But most profoundly... It happens in the family. And so when I ask, who is your shepherd? Obviously, the, the best answer is Jesus. But since he shares his shepherding role with others, I can now ask you, who are the shepherds in your life? Well, the first two that you ever had were your parents. And 
Some of you maybe haven't reflected on that until now that you're holding a baby and you're like, oh gosh, yeah, now I know that they didn't have it figured out. They didn't know what they were doing just like I don't know what I'm doing. And and you might be crushed by the responsibility of it, but I hope that you're also lifted up by the honor of it. Because it's not only this, this incredible responsibility that you're not just supposed to help this creature to survive for 18 years and then they're on their own, but rather... You have this responsibility for this immortal soul, and where is it going to end up? You obviously aren't going to be able to make their choices for them, but you can try to influence them as much as you can with the time that you're given. That is this incredible responsibility, but an even greater honor. That not only were you able to co-create with God himself, to bring into existence someone that would not have any life within them were it not for you. But you're able to help them become saints. Parents are those first shepherds. What a tremendous honor that you get to help lead someone, guide someone, protect them, and equip them to be able to embrace eternal life. We thank God for our parents today, but we also ask God to help those of us who have responsibility for others, to shepherd them well. But the only way that we learn to shepherd well is if we learn to follow well that good shepherd. And in following him, in this community, this family of the church that he's given us, he's given us other shepherds as well. Like, when you hear... Someone asks, like, okay, who is your shepherd? You might think, ah, it's kind of a poetic way of, of putting it, but I guess it's who? Who would you think of? I hear whisperings, but nobody's confident enough to say it out loud. Father Pedro, exactly, that guy that we're praying for who's on the other side of wherever, we can't know, right? Priests. Priests, those incredibly imperfect, Strange creatures that God has called to shepherd his people in a particular way. The reason why I want to talk about priests a little bit today is because God is calling more men than say yes. Right? He's out there and he's calling so many men, but a lot of the time the man does not hear the call because of all the noise. Or he does not hear the call because, as Scripture says, he does not recognize the voice of strangers. And maybe he hasn't been brought to that place of knowing Christ so intimately that it's not a strange voice, but the voice of his closest friend calling him into the adventure of this vocation. And the reason I mention it here is because it is the responsibility of the whole church to help each member of the church to follow their divine call. I already spoke about the sublime call to the sacrament of matrimony, how you can co-create with God himself and lead children into heaven. We need to help each other with that. Right? When we see a marriage that's struggling, instead of saying, like, oh, tough for them, we go and say, we say, how can I help you? Like, what's going on? Your marriage is worth fighting for. How can I join into that fight? We need to help each other in that sacrament. But we need to help each other when there's a particular call to something different as well.
Because what a tragedy it is when somebody whom the Lord is inviting either cannot hear or recognize the invitation or recognizes it but is so scared to pursue it because he thinks that the community doesn't have his back. Maybe he's terrified of even saying anything about it because then expectations will be heaped upon him. And he says, well, I don't know for sure that this is what I want. And so I don't want people to feel like I, I, I quit or I gave up or I wasn't strong enough if I don't pursue it. So I'm just not going to say anything. Or they think if I say something, they're going to throw my sins right back in my face. And they're going to say, you? Oh, come on. No, we need better. Or there's this nervousness that in this vocation, God is somehow going to trick you and you're going to have this loveless existence where you're just kind of doing some work but not living a life of fulfillment. Well, let's speak to some of those fears that a young man may have. First, the expectations. We as a community can help them with support. That if any man says, you know what, I'm open to it, Instead of saying, oh, yes, definitely, you're going to be a priest, and if not, we're going to look down on you. Instead, we say, oh, that's wonderful. That takes so much courage to say that out loud. I'm sure you've been wrestling with it for a while. How can I help you? Because I'm definitely praying for you, and I don't know where this will lead. It might be priesthood or it might be something else, but I commend you for having the courage to ask the question. I'm praying for you. We love you. Let us know what we can do. If we can have that kind of a response, more men would have the courage to say, you know what, I'm open to this. But then also comes the recognition that God calls all sorts, right? And so if a guy that it's kind of surprising uh, might be saying, yeah, I feel a little bit called, you might say, okay, well, praise the Lord. He must be working really powerfully in your life. That's great. I'm going to pray that he prepare you for this vocation if that's what he's calling you to. But then that final fear that keeps some guys up at night. Will I be happy? Friends, I could say now seven years into it, I can't imagine myself being happy or doing anything else. Because the God who created me, who knit me together in my mother's womb, who knew me before I existed, he knows what's going to make you happy. He is worthy of your trust. What more can he do to earn it than shed his very blood for love of you? He has created you not for misery, but for greatness. And so if he calls you to marriage, nothing other than marriage will make you as happy as that sacrament. If he calls you to the priesthood, nothing other than the priesthood will make you as happy as will that sacrament and living it out. Of being able to see the beauty of marriage. Of being able to pour yourself out for a bride and then be able to lovingly care for children. Well... That's what being conformed to Christ crucified in the priesthood is. To share in the very love he has for his bride, the church, and then to be able to give tender care, love, guidance, protection to the very sons and daughters of God. So I pray that we can be a community here that supports men as they pursue the discernment of that call. That we not heap too many expectations on them, but instead envelop them in our support and in our love. That we can do that within our friends, within our families, and among our friends. But one final thing is that the vocations crisis in the church, it's not that we don't have enough priests. 
It's that we don't have enough saints. Right? The greatest thing that the church needs is not more of this or that or this other thing. It's that we need more saints. Now, priests are a part of that, giving us the sacraments, right? That, that helps the entire church to be able to grow in holiness. But what we need desperately is that each one of us embrace our vocations and realize living this out well is how I follow my shepherd's voice. He's called me to this vocation, and so I'm going to live it out out of love for him and those he puts in my way. But there's one vocation that has been most neglected by the church in the last 50 years. Do you know what it is? Single life? Perhaps. I I think that's one that sometimes we have a difficult um, understanding of. Because we think, oh, is it a waiting room for the other ones? And we realize, no. There are times that the Lord calls someone to live still in the world but to be able to embrace this radical love for the Lord in the world, being totally devoted to Him and pouring themselves out in service to God's people, but maybe without having this set role in a monastery or a convent or in a church. That one's important, but I think the most neglected one has been the vocation of the religious woman. Since the very beginning of the church, since those first women that followed Jesus, there have been consecrated women who who gave their entire lives to serve as an image of the church, perfectly devoted to the Lord. I should say totally devoted. Nobody's perfectly devoted. But we don't see too many sisters anymore. We don't see families that have that trust in our Lord Jesus to be able to encourage their daughters to think of it. Instead, we have the opposite. You have good Catholic families whose daughter might be called and she says something, and instead of saying, oh, praise the Lord, they say, oh, no, mija, I want grandkids. You can't do that. No, just find yourself a nice boy. Who is she going to find that's better than Jesus? Tell me that. And I guarantee that what you want more than grandkids is holy kids. Kids who are following the Lord wherever he leads. If that's to marriage, praise the Lord. If it's to priesthood, praise the Lord. If it's to the convent, praise the Lord. Because we desperately need those particular kinds of shepherds that are religious sisters. Right? They get a bad rap because people love hating on beautiful and wonderful things. They might say like, oh my gosh, they were so mean, these sisters. All right, let's look back on those days. Everybody was mean. (laughs) Right? It wasn't like, oh, at home there was no discipline, but then I went over there and they were mean to me. Okay, yeah, I'm pretty sure at home you had some stricter discipline than today, too. So, what we need to do as a church is support each other in following the voice of the shepherd wherever he calls. The place where I think it's most difficult for us today is for the woman who's called to religious life. And so that might be where we need to have more of our prayers, more of our focus, more of our attention go, because it's not as natural anymore. You see the priest every week, you see a nun once every year, maybe. And so may this be a community that prays for all vocations, does not neglect one over the other, and in a special way asks God to be able to inspire in those women that he calls the courage to say yes, and inspire in the community the love and support 
to help her in living out that yes. So that all of us together may listen to that voice of the shepherd, help him in his work of shepherding, shepherding each other all the way unto the gates of eternal life.